if a leadership figure in a workplace earns our respect, you know, that's one thing, okay. If they have something to give to us that is advantageous to us, that's another thing. But to be subject to their leadership simply because they are in a position of leadership over us, that idea is out of step with the age in which we live. Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. I'm Steve Hiller. Glad you're with us as we continue a message we began last time. It's entitled Being Subject for the Lord's Sake. And Jonathan, there's something about our human nature, I think, that just doesn't like to be subject to those in authority. If it doesn't feel like there's anything advantageous or anything that they can give us where we're going to benefit from that. Oh, I think that's absolutely right. We, we do not enjoy being subject to others as a rule. Uh, there is something within our sinful nature that rebels against authority. I think we see that taking place in the Garden of Eden, actually, with Adam and Eve and their disposition toward the Lord. It is really the essence of sin to assert ourselves and to refuse to honor rightful authority and ultimately God's authority. So we do find it a bit tough when Scripture is really clear with us telling us that we need to honor those who are placed in authority over us. But it is the call of Scripture. And as we try and uh, wiggle our way out of that and justify reasons why we might not want to be subject to those who are in authority over us, Peter takes us to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and shows us how he was willing to be subject even to the torture of the cross. And as we follow Peter's logic, we find it more and more difficult to ignore what he says because he points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where we're going to be going today. All right, so join us there, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 25, as we continue our message, being subject for the Lord's sake. Here is Jonathan. The day is probably drawing ever nearer where our freedom to openly teach and proclaim the Word of God is going to be curtailed. The pressure's already on. We, we may find ourselves under coercive force, to make affirmations that run contrary to Scripture. In certain professions, I think especially of the medical profession at the present time, Christians are being squeezed into a very tight corner, pushed to participate in or refer for activities that destroy human life, activities like assisted suicide, and suddenly we got to choose. Will I obey God or human authority? And of course, we must obey the Lord. Now, that stark choice is visible on the horizon for all of us. It is the present reality for some among us now, and we need to be prepared to obey God and face whatever earthly consequences might come our way. We need to be ready for that. But at the same time, we need to make sure that we are not rushing to get there. The places where we must choose to disobey the governing authorities, out of loyalty to the Lord, they are still the exception in most contexts. They are. They're not the norm. Such exceptions were relatively rare for the early Christians living in the pagan empire, and they are relatively rare still for us today in the secular West. We need to be clear. Most of the time, and in most cases still today, we simply need to obey the authorities that God has set over us in this world. I, I think we're probably in danger at the present time of jumping quite quickly to the assumption of civil disobedience because we see the spiritual darkening of our society and the secularization of the state. 
but Peter wants us to know that being subject for the Lord's sake, verse 15, is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, the world is watching us. We know that, don't we? The world is watching us and, frankly, just looking for opportunities to prove what they suspect to be true, that we Christians are a dangerous and subversive influence. And here's the thing, we don't want to give ammunition to that. We, we don't want to feed that untrue narrative, that false narrative. Verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. You know, there is a, there is a glorious freedom that comes from being a child of God. I mean, think about it. Heaven is our home. Our sins have been dealt with, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Our conscience is clear. We can put our head on the pillow at night and sleep. The crisis of this world, they're, they're put into perspective for us because we know that we've got eternity to look forward to. This isn't it for us. The authorities, they don't terrify us because the king of the universe is our father. The Son of God is our, our friend. We're free. But we must not allow this glorious sense of freedom to make us bad citizens. We mustn't take this as a license to do wrong, like the spoiled child in the grand home who terrorizes the servants because he knows he can get away with it. Like, like the student in, in high school whose dad is the principal and who delights in getting away with everything. No, we're not going to be like that in this world. We live as servants of God, not as spoiled brats in the world. And that means, verse 17, that we are very careful to show proper respect and care in all our relationships in every sphere. Honor everyone. Show respect and diligence and courtesy in every, in every sphere. Love the brotherhood. Show love to the church of Jesus Christ, to the people of God. Fear God. Behave well in this world out of a fearful respect of the God who is both our Savior and our judge. Honor the emperor. Don't imagine that being a child of God gives you an exemption from being subject and being respectful. Friends, we, we are living in complex days that are promising to grow more complex the pressure is on. The pressure is rising by the day. But let's not imagine that our situation is novel or unique. The early church knew a lot about pressure and opposition and even persecution. And let's not imagine that ungodly laws and governments that don't fear the Lord, that those things give us a kind of pass on the requirement to be subject, to obey, to honor those in leadership. Be subject for the Lord's sake to the governing authorities. Next, for the Lord's sake, be subject to masters in the workplace, verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows when suffering unjustly. Peter zooms out now a little bit from the church in, in the public square, or rather zooms in to focus on the individual believer in the workplace. He, he zooms in to think about another key authority relationship, and that is the relationship between a servant and a master. 
Now, he is, of course, writing in a context where many of his readers would actually have been slaves in bondage. Slavery was basically at the very heart of the economic system in the Roman Empire. Best estimates suggest that between 10 and 20% of the Roman population at this time were enslaved, meaning that there were between 5 and 10 million slaves in the empire in the first century. That's a huge number. And because such a huge portion of the population and the workforce were slaves, slavery within the empire was a hugely diverse thing in its manifestation. Many slaves performed grueling manual labor. Some essentially did professional work. Some were granted their freedom. Slavery, it was certainly diverse within the Roman world, but we need to be clear, slavery in all its forms is evil and it violates the dignity of human beings as made in the image of God. We know that. We understand that. Now, Peter here, he doesn't comment on the institution of slavery, and and he's not condoning it by his comments, to be sure. He is rather engaging with the reality that his people were facing. He is showing Christian slaves how to behave in a godly way within their social and economic reality, no matter how crushing it would have been. And of course, the instructions that are here apply to us in any situation where we are under authority at work. Employees, be subject to your employers with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. Unlike slaves in the ancient world or slaves in the not-so-ancient world, slavery is still a dark and evil reality in our world today. Most of us here, most of us listening, have the opportunity to quit and to seek employment elsewhere if we don't like our boss, and Peter doesn't tell us we can't do that. But while we're there, we are to be subject, be subject with all respect. And right here, we kind of bump up against the culture in a very major way. Our culture prizes individualism, protection of personal rights and privileges, self-advocacy, and self-expression. Our culture does not prize respect for position or rank. It does not encourage submission to authority. The idea of being subject to a master, a boss, that's actually increasingly strange to us. If a leadership figure in a workplace earns our respect, you know, that's one thing, okay. If they have something to give to us that is advantageous to us, that's another thing. But to be subject to their leadership simply because they are in a position of leadership over us, that's becoming harder and harder for us to compute. That idea is out of step with the age in which we live. I guess it's a constant feature of history that the older generations bemoan the traits and the tendencies of the young, I I think I personally count as a millennial. I just make it, uh, snuck in under the line. And for a number of years, managers have been complaining, of course, with probably with some good reason, about managing my generation of workers. You know, we're opinionated and entitled and on and on it goes. Well, as far as I can tell, it has now become the turn of the millennials to complain about Gen Z, who are quickly becoming the dominant cohort in the workforce. Forbes recently published a piece that um, reported on a recent survey that found that 96% of Gen Z said it's important for them to feel valued, included, and empowered at work. 79% indicated that it's important to them to have a manager who cares about their personal development as much as their professional development. 
One manager within the piece observed this, and I quote, Gen Z can be exhausting because they lack discipline. They like to challenge you. They grew up online in an environment that amplified their voices. They think they're better than you, smarter than you, more capable than you, and they will tell you to your face. Well, I don't know what the Gen Z among us would say to that. I don't know what managers of Gen Z among us would say to that. I don't know if it's fair. Generalizations always need to be taken with a pinch of salt. But I guess there are some grains of truth in there at least. And here's my point. Here's why I raise it. Our cultural moment is not one in which being subject to authorities at work is valued or even widely understood. For Christians to do what verse 18 says, it's going to involve being intentionally and carefully countercultural. It's going to involve unlearning the culture under the sound of the Word of God. And it's going to involve living out of step with the mainstream of the culture in the power of the Spirit of God. Now, I think our instinct here is to say, and I understand this, you know, I'm, I'm willing to be countercultural if I've got a good boss. I, I'm, I'm happy to be a great employee. I'm eager to fall into line. But here's my problem. I have a dragon of a boss you know, grumpy, unreasonable, inconsiderate. And, and with that in mind, we want our exception. You know, we want permission to give the boss less than 100% willing service. But notice again the instruction. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. In the eyes of the world, being subject to an unreasonable boss, you know, kind of putting up with it, that's just stupid. I mean... Come on, fight, fight back a little. Uh, don't put up with it, our culture insists. Stand upon your rights, fight your corner, hold your ground. But, but God's word gives us such a different call, doesn't it? It calls us to be subject even to the bad and unreasonable boss, and we do it not for their sake, but for the Lord's sake. We do it, says Peter, because in the sight of God, as far as God is concerned, it's a gracious thing. It is a thing marked by grace and shaped by grace. He is the God of grace, verse 19, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For one credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it and endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. It's gracious in his sight. It reflects his character. It's who we are as his children. It's what he calls us to be. Now, all of us who work for others, who sit under authority in the workplace, all of us, we need to hear this. We need to take this seriously. We need to take this on board. It doesn't come naturally to any of us to be subject to anyone. It's the very nature of sin and the heart of sin to forge our own independence and to live our own way. And as the culture basically normalizes insubordination and discourtesy and a self-serving attitude in the workplace. And as our colleagues around us are living out those dynamics each and every day, you and I are called to be radically different, children of the Father, a people marked by grace. Now, I just wonder who among us needs to hear this call and this challenge today. I wonder if this is hitting home for you in a particular way. You've been taking your boss's instructions with a big pinch of salt and with a quiet rolling of the eyes for some time. You know that you know better than her, 
better than him. And while you do the work, you make sure that they know it too. You're not convinced that your supervisor deserves your respect. You're not sure that they deserve the job, quite frankly. And by subtle and not so subtle cues, you let that be known as well. If a task comes down to you that you don't feel is worthwhile, don't feel is worth your time, you're quick with the pushback. You might get the job done eventually, but it's a half-hearted effort. It's a matter then of just ticking a box. You save your effort for what you think is actually important. Now, as Christian people, we should be the ideal, the dream employees. We should be those who make life easy for our boss, our managers. We should be ready to respond, ready to serve. We should be gladly subject, not grudgingly so. And of course, when we're realistic and honest about it, how often we fall short of that ideal, how often we fall short of the calling of the Word of God in this. So where is it that we need to change, you and I, to repent, to grow in grace? What adjustments do you need to make tomorrow morning at the office? What hard conversations maybe do you need to have? What apologies, perhaps, do you need to issue? For the Lord's sake, be subject to masters at work. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, a message called Being Subject for the Lord's Sake. Now we have to pause right here, but we'll get back to the message in just a moment. You listen to Encounter the Truth on the radio, or maybe subscribe to the podcast, you listen online, or even through our website. Well, we're glad you've tuned in, but did you know you can also watch Jonathan teach God's Word? We have a YouTube channel, and if you've never checked it out before, I want to encourage you to do that today. On YouTube, simply look for Encounter the Truth, like and subscribe, and that way you'll be updated anytime we post some new content on there. Or you'll find links to connect with us at our website, EncounterTheTruth.org. Back to the message. Here is Jonathan. And finally, for the Lord's sake, be mindful of the saving example of Jesus. Here, friends, is the foundation of everything we've just been told in our passage. Here is why it all makes sense. Here is the way in which it becomes possible. Notice it with me, verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were once straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. If we were sitting there listening to the instructions about submitting ourselves to the governing authorities and being subject to the boss at work. And, and we were thinking to ourselves, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure I'm really up for that. My situation, you know, it's so complex and frustrating. I'll, you know, I'll think about it. If we were trying to brush off the call of the word of God in this way, Peter just made it impossible for us to do that. Did you notice that? He made it impossible because he's taken us back now to the heart of everything. He's taken us back to the cross of Jesus Christ. It's like a father saying to his, his young adult son, you know, it's your mother's birthday this weekend. I know you wanted to go skiing with your friends, but we're doing a birthday lunch. And, well, I would just note the fact that your mother is the one who gave birth to you, cared for you, stayed up at night when you were sick, 
put up with your teenage mood swings, worked night shifts at the factory to put you through college, and you know, it would just mean so much if you were there. <laughs> and by the end of the call, right, there's, there's really no answer but the one that the poor guy can give. Was that 12 on, on Saturday for, for lunch? Shall I bring the cake? <laughs> I mean, Peter has taken us to the place where there is no escape now from obedience. He has taken us to the center of everything. We need to be willing to be subject for the Lord's sake, even in tough situations, even when the boss is miserable, because we've been called to do this through the saving example of Jesus Christ. The cross that saves us is also the cross that teaches us. Jesus went to the cross that he might redeem us, but he also went there, end of verse 21, to leave an example that we might follow in his steps. This is very interesting because the cross is not very often given to us as an example in the Bible. Fundamentally, it is a unique historical act that saves us but it does at the same time teach us. In fact, as a people saved by the self-submitting, suffering work of Jesus, as a people who have been redeemed by this work, being subject in this way, even in unjust circumstances, it is actually now written into our spiritual DNA. It's who we are as the people of God. The, the saving example of Jesus defines who we are. And just look at his example. Jesus did nothing wrong. He faced unjust suffering, but he didn't push back. He didn't revile or threaten. He entrusted himself to the just judge, to the Father above. That's the example he sets for us in the public square when things get rough, when persecution comes, when the boss is an ogre, when we're treated unfairly, and work becomes a place of suffering, we look to the example of Jesus. And here's what Jesus was doing and why he was, verse 24, bearing our sin. He was paying the price of our wrongdoing, and that's, that's the gospel, friends, right there. If you don't know the Lord, if all that we're talking about here is just totally new to you, please zoom in on verse 24 and make that the one thing that you remember from this message. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He paid the price. And if we trust in him, we have forgiveness through his death in our place. And friend, you can, you can have that too. <laughs> you can know that too through faith in the Lord Jesus. And, and he did that not just so that we could have a free ticket to heaven and then live as we please, live as the pagans live, rebellious to the government, rude to the boss. No, he did that so that we could die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, he has healed us from the ravages and the scars of sin to make us a brand new people. We were wandering. We were like the pagans. We were no better than anyone else, rebellious, rude, difficult to deal with, all the rest. But Jesus, he died. He died to bring us home to himself and to make us new. Verse 25, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Friends, for Jesus' sake, where do we need to learn in you to be subject? It's very fashionable to be rebellious. Even in Christian circles at the moment, with respect to government, I fear it is becoming a little bit of a badge of honor in some circles to push back to defy. It's the spirit of the age, of course, to self-advocate, 
to set our own terms in the workplace, looking to the example of Jesus. What will it mean for you in the public square, in the workplace, to die to sin and to live to righteousness? Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth and a message called Being Subject for the Lord's Sake. We're pausing right here, but we'll get back to the message next time. If you ever miss a broadcast, come and listen online. Our website is EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, who gets to determine what Christianity means? And is it even possible to understand its original message after centuries of tradition and conflicting ideas? David Gooding and John Lennox are throwing some fresh light at these questions in a book called The Definition of Christianity. And Jonathan has picked out this book as our way of saying thank you for your financial support this month. You can give a gift, receive a copy of this book, The Definition of Christianity, and help continue the ministry of Encounter the Truth when you give online at EncounterTheTruth.org. Or call us at 1-833-99-TRUTH. Again, the website is EncounterTheTruth.org and our phone number is 833-998-7884. Well, thanks for listening today. For our Bible teacher, Jonathan Griffiths, as well as our producer, Mark Breda, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.